The New York State Office of Addiction Services and Supports, or OASS, provides this podcast as a public service. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed do not necessarily represent or reflect those of the agency or state. This is Addiction, the Next Step. Welcome to Addiction, the Next Step. I'm your host, Jerry Gretzinger. Today's episode, we're going to be discussing something called xylazine. You've probably heard of it. We're going to tell you what it is and why it is of such concern, the role that it's playing in the overdose epidemic. Xylazine is not meant for human consumption. It's actually a powerful animal tranquilizer. However, it's being increasingly mixed with opioids, also being mixed with fentanyl, which I know you've heard of. Joining us today is the chief medical officer here at Oasis, Dr. Kelly Ramsey. And uh, Dr. Ramsey, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. You know, why don't we start? We're going to talk all about xylazine today, which obviously is so important. But let's start. Let our listeners know your role here with the agency and what you do with Oasis. Okay, so I'm the chief medical officer here at Oasis. I'm an internal medicine physician by training and also boarded in addiction medicine. So the role of the office of the chief medical officer, because again, it's not just me. I have a staff who works with me, closely with me. We offer medical expertise to our agency and to the field of substance use disorder treatment providers, but also substance use disorder and substance use in general in New York State. So we have both addiction medicine, addiction psychiatry expertise, and we offer a lot of technical assistance to providers, and we provide a lot of the guidance documents for our provider system. Okay. All right. Now, obviously, I mean, there's a, so much important work that happens in this agency, uh, and boy, it is a, it's, a, it's a moving target. It continues to change. You know, first we were talking quite a bit about fentanyl, which is still a concern. And now we have something called xylazine. And there's been a lot of talk about this. And we were really looking forward to getting you into the podcast to talk to our listeners about, one, what xylazine is and what, what is so concerning about it. So I'll let you start with the first question. What, what is xylazine? So xylazine is a medication that's used in animals. So it's used in veterinary medicine. It was actually initially investigated for potential human use back in the 1960s. However, because of significant side effects, including central nervous system sedation, it was never approved for use in humans. However, the FDA did approve it for use in veterinary animals, primarily for sedation for procedures. So This isn't a new medication. It's been around for a long time, used in veterinary medicine. And we first started seeing inklings of misuse of xylazine in the literature as far back as the 1980s and 1990s. However, it emerged in Puerto Rico in the very early 2000s as a very significant uh, substance of misuse. So it was diverted from veterinary supplies. So this is different from illicitly manufactured fentanyl and other highly potent synthetic opioids in that this is not made in a lab or, or a bathtub somewhere or in a, you know an illicit xylazine lab. This is actually um, pharmaceutically manufactured xylazine. So it, it seems to be diverted outside of the U.S. So I spoke to someone at the FDA who said that it it looks like it's being diverted from veterinary supply in India. 
And so we started to see it stateside in Philadelphia in 2006. It started being noticed as a significant substance of misuse. And so most of the uh, ethnographic and epidemiological information that we have about xylazine is coming out of Philadelphia primarily, though now we're seeing significant more information coming from the Northeast. Really, its prevalence and incidence is unknown because most jurisdictions are not checking for xylazine, either in toxicology testing or in most jurisdictions don't have point-of-care drug checking. And most medical examiners are not checking for it with respect to overdose deaths. So New York City is an exception to that. So we actually know in 2021, because all overdose deaths in New York City, um, part of the toxicology panel is checking for xylazine. So we know 19% of fentanyl-related overdose deaths in New York City in 2021 also included xylazine. So why is xylazine being added to the drug supply? We can only guess at that, really, because we don't know. We don't know at what point it's being added to the drug supply. We think it's being added to extend the duration of, an, of opioids' effects. So fentanyl, which is the predominant opioid in the unregulated drug supply in the United States today, has a very, very short duration of action. So people need to use fentanyl many times daily. So we think that the xylazine is being added to the fentanyl to extend the duration of fentanyl's effects. Um, the problem with xylazine being added is that it does cause this excessive sedation. So when I talk about sedation, I, I don't mean it just makes you sleepy. For many, many people, it literally makes them unconscious. So that typically can last about four hours. But for some individuals, depending on how much xylazine is uh, added to the supply that they're using, it could be as long as 8 or 10 hours. So being in one position uh, for 10 hours unconscious puts people in an extreme position of vulnerability to whether that's to sexual assault, physical assault, robbery, but also medical conditions. So there are a lot of medical conditions that are associated with having your limb against the ground for multiple hours at a time. So whether that's a blood clot or whether that's something called rhabdomyolysis, which is when you get muscle breakdown and that can affect kidney and liver function, there are a lot of potential complications. So you were mentioning that th this is a drug that's been around since the 60s and it was first noticed, I guess you were saying, for misuse around the 80s. Is that what it was? Yeah, the drug was investigated by Bayer Pharmaceutical Company in the early 1960s. Um, I don't know when it was actually approved by the FDA for veterinary medicine, but yes, it is a, a, a medication that has been around for a long time. And so uh, when it was first being noticed, you know, uh, for, for with misuse, was it being something like, I know right now we're talking about it being mixed in the unregulated drug supply. Correct. Was it being misused in, in and of itself, or it was it no. always been mixed? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So the, the ecological link between xylazine and a substance, it's pretty much now hand-in-hand hand with fentanyl. So we're not seeing people really using xylazine by itself. We're not seeing xylazine really mixed in with other substances. If that occurs, it's probably incidental, or it's probably mixed by the end person using the substance. It's really the link is with fentanyl. And so when we talk a little bit later about xylazine test strips, we'll talk about strategies for using xylazine test strips. So the data from Puerto Rico shows, so this was 
pre-fentanyl, so this is the early 2000s, but when they looked at the syringes um, in, in which xylazine showed up, it was always with heroin or with heroin and cocaine. So again, never by itself. We do have a couple of um, incidents over time in which individuals intentionally tried to kill themselves using xylazine, but that's very different than recreational use of substances. So when you, you talk too about it, you know, being mixed and now obviously with, with fentanyl, uh, you indicated that at, at some point or at some, in some instances, the, the end user may be the one that's kind of combining them, but there are also cases where people may be using a substance and not realize that it's present. Correct. I don't, I don't think um, individual people using are mixing xylazine in with their substances. What I meant by that is saying that they may be using fentanyl, xylazine, and another substance that doesn't have xylazine in it. So okay. that's why you may be seeing more substances mixed in. So with respect to people not being aware of it, I think, unfortunately, there's still a lot of under-recognition of xylazine in the unregulated drug supply. I think there's also a perception that it's only occurring in certain jurisdictions. So, for example, Philadelphia, it's well-known to be occurring. Maryland, so Baltimore specifically, well-known to be occurring. Connecticut in general. So, again, eastern seaboard. But in DEA seizures, we've seen xylazine show up in 48 out of 50 states. So it, it is occurring everywhere, but there's under-recognition. So the problem with that for the person who's using and exposed to xylazine is really when we think about use, we need to think about always polysubstance use. And also that means we need to always think about polysubstance overdose. Unfortunately, I think we've gotten the message out about naloxone, but we haven't got the message out about how you respond effectively to a polysubstance overdose. So if naloxone is the only tool in your toolbox on how to respond to an overdose, and you keep giving more and more and more naloxone, but not really addressing that there's other substances on board, you're not going to have an effective overdose response. Xylazine is not an opioid. It is not going to respond to naloxone. Since it travels with fentanyl, your first response is always to give naloxone. But if that individual is not responding to two doses of naloxone given two minutes apart, you need to pivot and you need to be thinking about how do I support this individual's breathing? So there are some maneuvers that any individual can do. That would be a head tilt, chin lift, do rescue breathing, put that person on their side in the recovery position. But really, if you're in a location where you don't have additional supports, like a bag valve mask or an ambu bag or access to oxygen for administration, you should have already activated EMS so they can come and, and give that higher level of care to support that individual's breathing. You know, that, um, that was great that you mentioned that because I think we have heard so much about the use of naloxone, using that to, you know, to an overdose response. People have asked that question, well, what happens if you do one and it doesn't work? And two, does it, do, you, do you just keep giving more and more naloxone? And we've heard responses where people say, uh, yes, just, give nalo- just keep giving right. naloxone. And that is not the correct response. And we've heard stories of individuals getting 10, 15 doses of naloxone. Wow. And really, that is not what's going to be an effective response. The other thing is that the goal of naloxone is to try to normalize an individual's breathing. It's not that they're awake, walking, talking, 
the more naloxone you give, the more you precipitate opioid withdrawal, and that can be quite severe opioid withdrawal in individuals who have used recently or who are dependent on opioids. What we want to do is just try to get that breathing as close to normal as possible. And again, they may remain sedated for a long period of time, particularly if that's a situation where it was fentanyl and xylazine co-use. So that individual should be in a safe place with people monitoring them, moving their position every you know, hour or two hours to make sure that they don't develop some of those medical complications. But the answer isn't just keep giving naloxone and not do anything else. Uh, and you uh, mentioned before, and I'd like for us to talk about this also, uh, the test strips. You know, we've been saying uh, uh, quite a bit lately about the availability of both fentanyl test strips and now xylazine test strips. So talk to us a bit about that and how that can be helpful, useful. So they are a great tool. The dialogue is a little bit different um, with somebody uh, when you're talking to them about fentanyl test strips versus xylazine test strips. Um, unlike xylazine, which again, we don't see added to multiple substances, fentanyl has been added to many substances, um, primarily stimulants. There's also co-use of fentanyl with stimulants. And so when we're talking about fentanyl test strips, what we want to say is that you test any substances that you're using. The exception would be alcohol and cannabis because we have no verified um, reports of cannabis being in the unregulated drug supply. The messaging with xylazine is a little bit different. First of all, most people haven't heard about xylazine, so it usually requires an educational component and explaining to people what xylazine is and what effect that that can have on people, including being unconscious for many hours. The other piece is people may not be aware of xylazine wounds. So we know that wounds uh, are associated with xylazine use. We don't yet know the pathophysiological mechanism of action. So we don't know why those wounds are occurring. So they can occur at sites of injection, but they can occur at other sites in the body not associated with injection. And for people who don't inject at all, they can still show up. Huh. And so... So, I just, so mm -hmm. wounds like... Can you be more detailed? Sure. Yeah. So usually they start as a, like a pinpoint red spot. And people may just think it it's a wound that's associated with something else. And, and so if you don't kind of jump on that quickly and do preventative wound care management at that point in time, so that means keeping it covered, keeping it clean, keeping it moist, if it's very wet, you keep it dry. So there, we have some information on our website, on our xylazine page, about wound care management. So if, unfortunately, a lot of medical personnel are not recognizing xylazine wounds early. And so, unfortunately, if these wounds are not treated appropriately initially or are treated with drying agents, which is not appropriate management for it, so using like hydrogen peroxide or alcohol or other things on it, these wounds can progress into large ulcerated and necrotic wounds, which require much more complicated wound care management, and they can be um, disfiguring. And so a lot of people with xylazine wounds don't seek care for them because they've been stigmatized when they tried to seek care for them um, or they're embarrassed about the appearance of the wound. So, you know, it's important to give a little bit of information about wounds when you're talking to people about xylazine, and that's part of the test strip discussion. The other thing is that test strips should not be just given out like fentanyl test strips. They should be targeted for people who are using fentanyl. So if people are just using stimulants, um, 
or they're just using cannabis, again, xylazine test strips aren't really appropriate. We want to target them with specifically opioid um, users, and that's probably the, the best strategy. So the strips, what I can tell you about them as far as their accuracy, so they're very sensitive and they're very specific. So there have been a couple of validation studies that show they're, they successfully pick up xylazine when it's present. They successfully have a negative result when xylazine is not present. One thing about them is, and again, we'll know a lot more after harm reduction programs have really infiltrated their communities with the strips so that we get better feedback back. But the early feedback that we have is um, that they're, they um, have a false positive result if they are tested on um, drug supplies that contain lidocaine. So lidocaine is an adulterant that's often added in with stimulants. So again, that's just a caveat. And then the other thing is that they're very, very sensitive. So they will pick up as low level of xylazine in that um, drug supply sample uh, as 1%, which again, may not have any clinical relevance whatsoever to the experience of that individual um, person using. So again, if, if a person has access to drug checking by more sophisticated means in their community, like an FTIR machine, then it's, it's great to do that side-by-side -side comparison because the FTIR and other drug checking machines typically pick up greater than 5% in that supply of xylazine, for instance. So if you get a positive on a test strip and you can test it right, right there with an FTIR, it may show that it's negative on the FTIR machine because it's less than 5%. So it's really not going to be significant for that person's experience. The FTIR machine is... So that's a Fourier transform infrared spectroscopy machine. Okay. It's, there are many, many, many different types of technology for drug checking. That is just one particular type of technology. But they're all about the same sensitivity. And, and that's able to give you more detailed results than just the strip. Correct. Yeah. It'll tell you the quantitative amount mm. as opposed to a qualitative yes or no answer. So again... There's a lot that we don't know about xylazine. We don't know about pharmacokinetics or pharmacodynamics in humans. So what, what does the substance do when it gets into the body? What does the body do to the substance? We don't really have those answers. We have that data for animals, but really not for humans. And so what that means is we don't know at what level xylazine present in a drug supply actually has an impact so at what point does it, does it impact an overdose for somebody? At what point does it impact a death for somebody? We don't have that information. I mentioned xylazine-specific suicides previously. So individuals who, who um, committed suicide and, and died from it, those levels were very high of xylazine being present in their bloodstream, anywhere from 9,500 to 11,000 nanograms per milliliter. What we're seeing in, um, in overdose deaths where xylazine is present is a huge range. It could be as low as 4 nanograms per milliliter to 50 nanograms per milliliter. We know from cases where people tried to kill themselves intentionally, again, with xylazine, that they were unsuccessful, so they did not kill themselves at levels between 1,500 and 4,500 nanograms per milliliters. So there's still so much we don't know. We don't know when it affects that individual's experience. So uh, 
I have to ask this question because I've had some people ask this of us, and it, I'm going to see what your thoughts are. Uh, people have said, okay, so let's say I get a test strip, and, and I use this, and it comes back with a positive result. What do I do then? Because some people have said, you know, I, if I have this substance, you know, do, am I supposed to throw it out? Or, you know, so what's, what's the recommended next step? So any kind of harm reduction education done with somebody who you're talking to about xylosine test strips, are you have just done drug checking with them, should include what all the potential options are for that individual. So if that individual is getting their drug checked at on point at an OPC in New York City, they have an opportunity to go into the OPC and be observed while they're using to make that experience safer for them. Mm-hmm. For most people, they don't have that option because they're living in a place where there's not an OPC. So what we would definitely recommend is if you can not to use alone or if you're using with other individuals, use sequentially so that you're not all using at the same time so people can look out for one another. If that's not an opportunity for you and you're going to use alone, there's the never use hotline, which you can call just before you use and that individual will remain on the line. If you become unresponsive, they will activate EMS. Um, You always want to have naloxone available, but also that that person is also educated and informed about other aspects to overdose intervention other than just naloxone. You can, um, you know, start low and go slow. So use a much smaller amount than you had planned to use because now you have this information that something else is in the supply that that you weren't expecting. So those are some of the things that people can do. Yeah. All right. That's all important information. So important. Thank you so much for, for joining us with this information about xylazine, what people can do about it, the test strips. We're, we're thrilled you're able to, to share this with the listeners. Um, Dr. Ramsey, I think we'll have to have you back again uh, because I know this continues to be a, a topic that, that does, is not stagnant. There's always new information to share, so we'll have you back for sure. That's great. The, can I just end with one, one comment? Of course. So the other thing I, really, I think is very important is that we not create panic around a substance. So drug panic, uh, unfortunately... And we can, ins- we can insert whatever substance is the substance of the moment. Xylazine is the substance of the moment, preceded by fentanyl, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But what, what happens when we have very inflammatory headlines, such as zombie flesh-eating drugs and other very, very inflammatory headlines designed to sell, sell the story, is it's not helpful. All it does is create more stigma towards people who use drugs, particularly if an individual is intentionally using fentanyl or intentionally using xylazine. There's more stigma towards that individual who's intentionally using those substances. It also creates panic around um, doing overdose intervention with those individuals. So when we create myths around fentanyl uh, being being the cause of an overdose for EMS responders with casual contact via skin contact or casual contact via inhalational contact, neither of which occur, we create hesitancy on the part of individuals to intervene in overdose. And so again, we never want to be a part of creating drug panic, but rather giving people fact-based information so that they can, again, inform those around them when they hear misinformation. That's definitely what we're trying to share here, just facts and the right information, and we appreciate you sharing some of that today. Thanks so much. 
You can learn more about xylazine, how to prevent overdose. You can get free fentanyl test strips, xylazine test strips, and naloxone all through our website, oasas.ny.gov, oasas.ny.gov. If you or a loved one needs help, you can always call the New York State Hope Line. That's 877-8-HOPE-NY. We'll catch you next time.